Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith. And as we get started today, I want to invite all of our listeners, please go and like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on SoundCloud or Podcast Republic or whatever uh, podcast catcher you use. Uh, that helps us out a lot in uh, getting our material out there and also just making the world a smarter place. It's part of our, <laughs> it's, it's one of the things we're trying to do. And if they can't even be, if they, if we can't get to that point, well, hopefully we can at least help people think deeply. Um, and so we're, we're, uh, I know we have a tall task ahead of, ahead of us, uh, but anyway, we can, uh, you can help share our material helps us out tremendously. All right, Dr. Smith, today our topic is going to be modern philosophy, and mm-hmm. this is actually the new course that uh, Dr. Smith is rolling out over at catholicstudiesacademy.com. Uh, if you want to take our courses, uh, they are, they're there for subscription, they're there for purchasing, and uh, they're, they're, they're there in to, to fill that educational gap between good, solid parish catechesis and uh, kind of a four-year degree if you were to go away uh, to university should they ever open up again. Um, and so uh, we're really trying to fill that educational gap there. And the other, another part that really makes, I think, Catholic Studies Academy unique is that we are doing not just theology, but theology alongside philosophy. Uh, mm-hmm. The two wings uh, with right. which uh, we will fly and navigate this lost world. That's right. Uh, it's, it's Leo the 13th, right? right. That's right. Yeah. Or not so, right. Um, it's, uh, what's the name of that one? Um, I can't remember right off the top of my head, but it's good. Um, But uh, yeah, so um, Dr. Smith's new class is going to be Modern Philosophy. So we thought we'd throw this out there as kind of a a good introduction and um, to to not just his course, but also uh, when, and this will be kind of maybe our our kickoff point here, Dr. Smith, is uh, the history of philosophy. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's it's good to know, you know, the... uh, um, the, the, the main ideas, the thoughts that have come out of philosophical thought and the, the broad mm-hmm. tradition of it. Um, but, but one of the things, that, and I'll point out to our listeners, that Dr. Smith does is he, he goes back and forth between um, something like metaphysics to an, a historical mm-hmm. uh, um, time period. Mm-hmm. And so, Dr. Smith, to get us started, maybe you can uh, explain to us what modern philosophy is and kind of how it falls into the history of philosophy and maybe why sure. is that historical perspective important for the learner, for, for us uh, common folk? Gotcha. Gotcha, Jason. So uh, thanks for the question. Um, I love teaching the history of philosophy courses. Uh, so far in C- uh, CSA, we've, uh, I've done ancient philosophy and medieval philosophy. Now we're moving on to modern philosophy. This should be very interesting to, to our our regular students uh, who are part of the, of the academy, but also uh, to anyone else, because this is really our intellectual backyard, right? Yeah. You know, you want to kind of think about like, where does, where does, you know, our culture come from? Where do our dominant ideas come from? Uh, you know, this, they, they come from this period that we're going to be studying, which is roughly 1600 to 1900. Yeah. Uh, it's possible to kind of subdivide that into 19th century and early modern philosophy. And some, some historians do that, some philosophers do that. And that's sure. it's a fine thing to do. But in this course, we're going to be putting them all together. Maybe in subsequent courses, we'll have like a special course on just Descartes or just, uh, you know, uh, 19th century philosophy. But <clears throat> in this course, we're going to be looking at really all as sort of one uh, kind of group. Um, so, well, when you're thinking about any historical period, right? So we're thinking about philosophy from 1600 to 1900. There are a couple of things you need to have in mind. One is that I think the, the, the central thing you need to have in mind yeah. is what I would call the unity and diversity of philosophical experience, right? Or philosophical reasoning. Um, the Etienne Gilson, uh, I'm kind of riffing on Etienne Gilson, who had a, a nice book called The Unity of Philosophical Experience. Well done. Um, but, you know, philosophy in a way, it's always the same and always changing, right? Uh, it's always has the same aspiration, right? We're looking for first causes. We're looking for first principles. We're trying to reach the most universal explanations and the most foundational ideas that we can. Um, and, but that's going to look a little different. You know, if you're, if you're a 13th century Dominican, or if you're a uh, fifth century BC Athenian, 
or if you're a 19th century German, right? That's yeah. going to, obviously it's going to look different, right? I mean, as much as philosophy aspires to the eternal and the unchanging, that, that's, that's, that is the heart of philosophical inquiry. Uh, at the same time, it's not done by those who are eternal and permanent, right? <laughs> philosophy is done by, you know, flesh and blood and human beings, right? Yeah. Who are working in a, a particular uh, space, a particular time. And so it's important, right, um, to look at their uh, historical, <clears throat> excuse me, their historical context. Uh, like what, what's going on in the world around Descartes, right? Yeah, yeah, Why yeah. is, you know, that helps to, helps, helps us to think about, um, why is he doing what he's doing, right? What's yeah. the agenda of, and I don't mean agenda in like a suspicious way. I just mean like, what's he up to? What's he aiming for sure. in his um, philosophical inquiry? And, and, and I think, you know, different, it's helpful to think that way. It's also helpful to realize that different historical periods emphasize different problems and challenges you know yeah, one of the things you notice yeah right about say a lot of medieval philosophy is there's just not a lot of radical skepticism out there like <laughs> radical skepticism is just not kind of a big issue in medieval philosophy right yeah and there's good historical reasons for that good conceptual reasons as well radical skepticism does become a problem in modern philosophy it becomes a central question and, you know, it's not, you know, you could just say, well, gosh, those people had really weird ideas. Why did they, but, you know, why did they think about it? But it's not as if, you know, somebody just woke up one day and said, I'm going to be a radical skeptic. Right? <laughs> you know? There's reasons, there's historical things that bring them, that, that make the question of knowledge, right? Yeah, yeah. A central concern, right? And so you might think, why is the question of knowledge, why is the question of truth a central concern for modern man? Whereas for medieval man, it wasn't, right? Yeah, I think that's yeah, important, yeah. you know? Even in the ancient world, you have some skepticism, but not anything like in the modern period. Again, so why in the ancient world was, was skepticism not a radical concern, right? Yeah, there were so, many things that they kind of uh, all agreed upon. It wasn't them going back and saying, okay, let's try to figure out a theory of, a new theory of knowledge, or how do I even, even go about thinking? You know, mm -hmm. much of ancient philosophers were just thinking. Sure. I mean, even in my epistemology class, I kind of struggled with this a little bit. I, I talked about it in the class that we can talk about philosophy of knowledge, right? Which is where you're sort of giving accounts of how knowledge is formed. Yeah. And that's really how St. Thomas develops it. St. Thomas doesn't spend hardly any time defending the reality of knowledge, right? Yeah. It's just not a question for him. It's not a major question anyways, right? Uh, whereas modern epistemology is all about that, right? So once you recognize, right, that there are, that there are historical circumstances in which philosophers operate, mm -hmm. bring up particular ideas, right, uh, or bring up particular problems, then you can start to focus on, well, what are the central themes or ideas of the philosophers working in that period, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? So you look at the circumstances, what differentiates this period from another, then that helps you to, to isolate um, the central problems and questions along with the central ideas and answers to those questions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why, you know, and this is sometimes what, uh, what makes, I think, uh, studying philosophy so difficult for mm -hmm. just the armchair philosopher mm -hmm. is that, is that, it, it, it's difficult to, to, to wrap your mind around just the ideas that they are trying to present. <laughs> like if you've ever read, you know, Immanuel Kant, you've just, oh my, yeah, yeah. yeah you, you can't Kant. do it without, without <laughs> drinking. Um, and, you know, but then, but then to also understand the, the historical context, the sure. historical background, right. when you bring all of that in there, it's so much to, it's so much to just to, to juggle in your head that I, mm. that I think, you know, um, uh, when you go through a time period like this, you have to you have to have a good guide. You have to have mm -hmm. uh, uh, some 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 basic uh, historical context, some basic things before you get sure. into yeah some of those uh, uh, um, odd theories. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it just you're you're right. It's difficult, but it's so important. And the yes. reason yeah, it's yeah, so yeah, important yeah. is that again, Etienne Gilson does a wonderful job of, of explaining this. The history of philosophy is like 
the laboratory of philosophers, right? <laughs> right. It's where you see the experiments take place, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, and, 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 it's, and in that way, it's, it's really inductively very instructive, right? They, so you're looking, you know, you know, what is the experience of philosophers? We, you look at that great diversity of philosophy and philosophers. Some people find that aggravating that there's so many different approaches. Uh, and I understand that, but at the same time, it's also very helpful. You know, like I can look at Heraclitus, you know, I can think about, well, what if I thought everything was change and I thought nothing was permanent, right? Well, there was a guy who thought that way, right? <laughs> you know? And you can try to understand, and you can kind of look at his work and see how it develops. What if I thought everything was one thing? Well, then I can read Parmenides, right? Instead of thinking that everything, you know, there were different kinds of things, right? Um, so anyways, I mean, I think, you know, what if I try to combine faith and reason? Right. Oh, well, I could look at the great medieval philosophers. I could look at St. Augustine, yeah. St. Anselm, St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and to also realize that, you know, even though these, these, especially when you're looking at modern philosophy, even though these, these people, you know, may have been misguided, mm-hmm. um, they weren't stupid. No. <laughs> they, they put <laughs> tremendous, mm-hmm. tremendous thought and, sure. and trying to, to organize their theory of knowledge or, or whatever mm-hmm. it is they were, whatever it is their task was mm-hmm. that they, that they really put a lot of thought into it. And, and especially for, for modern philosophy, because it influences our modern culture so much. Sure, sure. It's, it's even more important for us to, to, to get into this. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, uh, maybe you can tell us, you know, what were some of the, the, the historical things happening that led to some of these sure, uh, uh, sure. ideas? Yeah. So this, you know, requires one of the things that history requires um, uh, is imagination. <laughs> uh, and I think it's interesting. You know, uh, uh, I don't remember who said it. Uh, I wish I did. But one of the things that uh, I was, I was a, an undergraduate, I was both a history major and a philosophy major. But I, I love both stu- uh, forms of study and learning. And one of the things I heard that was very helpful is to think about history as visiting a foreign country. Mm. Uh, history in a way has some, has some, you know, things that we'll recognize some familiarity to it. So we're not talking about space aliens, right? Sure. We're talking about human beings. Uh, but at the same time, we're talking about human beings from a different period, right? Mm-hmm. And that operate in different historical circumstances. Jason, can you imagine what it would be like to live in a time when nobody went faster than a sail ship Right, a horse, or maybe a very rare locomotive. Train, yeah, that, right? it, it, it's it's hard to even imagine a time without like my cell phone and like, <laughs> right. much less yeah. uh, technology as a whole. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you have to really kind of use your imagination. You have yeah. to kind of try to, to okay, kind of step away from your own circumstances a little bit. Right? Yeah, you know, just a little bit, and try to imagine other times. So. What are the what are the major things here? Well, without a doubt, you know the the number one thing I think for um, the modern like what distinguishes modernity from sure. the medieval world right now. Where you draw the line is always a little fuzzy. There's always a little overlap. That's fine, but we can still say, look, you know, 1750 looks a lot different than 1450. Right? <laughs> uh, it's a whole different thought world. Okay, and the biggest thing by far is the scientific revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly there was rational, you know, inquiry before the modern period. Uh, good historians uh, trace the beginnings of the scientific method into the late Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a lot of good work on that. It's not like the scientific method just dropped out of space into Galileo's head, right? Um, it, it, it was, you know, the, uh, a culmination of a long development within actually medieval philosophy. Um, but uh, nevertheless, we can say that, that, you know, the scientific thinking especially as expressed and developed by Francis Bacon and Galileo, mm-hmm. uh, really was a different way of thinking, right? And I think probably the most important element there, there's two important elements. One is an attitude and another is a method. Mm, so I'll deal with the attitude first. And this comes yeah. out very clearly in Francis Bacon. For medieval man, the highest developments and uses of reason were contemplative. Mm-hmm. The point of argument, the point of philosophy, right, was ultimately 
contemplation, right? The yeah. contemplation of God, the contemplation of of nature, um, of uh, the development of wisdom. It had a contemplative aspect, right? Sure. You, you know, uh, I look at the um, little painting back behind you, of Our Lady, and you know she has a very contemplative look on her face, right? Yeah, There's yeah, a wonderful yeah. picture of <clears throat> Saint Dominic sitting at the foot of the cross, uh, and he's 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 sort of he, I think he has his like his hand like his you've probably seen it uh, uh, right he has his hand on his on his like yeah, cheek yeah, yeah. or something like that and he's kind of looking you know after that it's a very contemplative look that was uh, it's by Fra Angelico the one I'm talking about um, <clears throat> that that was the ideal of medieval man was right. it was con, con, contemplation reason as leading to contemplation that's a very different view right a very different attitude about reason. Uh, from the modern setting, because really, in a way, one of the things that's really interesting is contemplation is kind of useless, right? It's <laughs> yeah. it's for it's only for its own sake. It right? has it's, no use. That's right. Yeah, yeah, right. It's it's uh, and mainly because it's so valuable that it doesn't need some further use, right? Right. Uh, but <laughs> <What> a novel thought. <laughs> <laughs> There's a book about that. It's called Leisure is the Basis of Culture. But anyway, so uh, <laughs> the, um, uh, but that's the medieval ideal. In the um, uh, modern ideal is that reason is about the mastery of nature, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. the domination of nature, creating technology, right? Just Bacon says that will literally allow us to reestablish the garden of Eden on earth. Yep. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's, it, it's, it's these, it's these mic, it's these earphones, it's this microphone, it's our cars, it's our medicine, right? I mean, right now, we're looking for something that will keep us from, from dying from any disease at all, right? Like we have this belief, right? <laughs> yeah. That we can destroy all disease, all pestilence, right? Um, that is a very modern way to think about reason, right? Reason is about, and science, right? Yeah. It's about domination. It's about yeah, so where, do, where, does, where does friendship come into play here? Right? Like, that's, I don't know. Yeah, that's a, mad, that's a maddening thing that I think that, that people don't always realize is that mm -hmm. there was a big shift yeah, and, yeah. And, mm -hmm. and kind of the object of, of philosophical inquiry or the, the yeah. use of our abilities or even, which, you know, I think again goes back to why are we here? You know, if, mm -hmm. if, if this sure, is to sure. where our knowledge is, you know, that's a big part of who we are. So if this is where, if our knowledge is, you know, only aimed at, you know, progress comrade, well then uh, <laughs> that, 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 that has a, a weird anthropology attached to it. Mm -hmm. uh, um, sure. Yeah. So it, it's yeah. absolutely fascinating. So then, so, so the, so you have, uh, uh, so with the scientific method, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it was kind of thrusting then that, that, that knowledge and our ability to reason is for the, the, the progress of the human mind to conquer mm -hmm. nature. Then. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So the conquest of nature, you know, if you look at any standard intellectual you know, history of ideas kind of about this time, that's one of the things that they'll emphasize, right? It's that medieval and ancient man wanted to reflect nature. Yeah. Modern man wanted to conquer it. Right. The second one, uh, the second important point here uh, in terms of science and, and the changes in reason uh, uh, is, has to do with the idea of um, getting rid of final causes. So mm -hmm. scientific reasoning does not avail itself of final causality. So you remember just quickly here from uh, Aristotle, there are four causes. One of the four causes is the is the final cause, which is about purpose. So one yeah. of the ways we understand things is by thinking about well, what is the purpose of the thing? What is its specific function? Mm -hmm. Right. So what is you know if you understand when I understand the eye, then you understand it through the role that all the different parts of the eye play in seeing. Right. The yeah. final cause of the eye is to see, and then we can understand right the structure of the eye and the optic nerve through that purpose. Right. Scientific reasoning dismissed both final causality and formal causality and, and, and focuses uh, exp um, uh, simply on uh, material causality and um, efficient causality. What happens, how often, when, and what is it made out of? Um, that's, that's, that's what scientific, that's like modern science is interested. It's not, 
interested really in definitions based on form and structure. Yeah. And it's not based, uh, and it's not interested in thinking about purpose. Yeah, and and I think that's huge. Not to say that those that those things are are are, um, are unimportant, but mm-hmm. but that we can't we we can't forget those formal and final causes. Mm-hmm. Um, because and I'll point our our audience uh, go look this up if you look in the I think it was a year ago probably now. I know I've mentioned it before, but if you go look in the UK, they established a ministry of loneliness <laughs> right, right. because, uh, because mm-hmm. nine, it said nine out of 10 Brits mm-hmm. saw no ultimate purpose to life. Yeah, sure. That sure. is what happens when you reduce all knowledge and your entire theory of knowledge stops mm-hmm. asking the question about final cause. And it says only the yeah. only knowledge is that which is available to sensory experience. Yeah, and, and we right, can't yeah. really don't mm-hmm. want to go. We don't want to really think about it. We can't really think about it with any certainty sure. after that. That's what happens. Yeah, that's really great. Um, and I, I think, you know, just to kind of make it a little more, even uh, put it in simpler terms, we're, when we're talking about this, we're talking about the, the purpose and, and, vow, and meaning of something, right? Yeah. So the purpose and meaning drop out of analysis. Right, they drop out of objective inquiry, scientific inquiry. Now, let me just quickly add. Sure. I don't think that this is necessarily, in itself, a bad thing. Mm-hmm. The way you want to think about this is that modern scientific method that focuses explicitly just on quantity and observe uh, quantification, observation, experimentation, those sorts of things. Uh, it's valuable almost precisely because it's. Uh, involves simplifying assumptions right yeah the early the early scientists didn't deny necessarily the reality of final causality they didn't deny the reality of formal causes but they said that we want to study this without paying attention to them right Mm. and and again not because they don't exist but because it allows you to kind of simplify your analysis and focus in on a particular things like how often does this happen how yeah. fast does it happen notice these are all quantity type words right uh and and, and you know that, that makes some sense you know uh uh to to investigate things uh in that manner does, does that make sense yeah yeah absolutely and i think you know what the the, the it is a noble cause to say we want to we want to be able to study something uh in an orderly fashion and mm-hmm. we want to put together an orderly way to to present it to people so that they can understand what's going on in the natural mm-hmm. world and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and and again, to emphasize maybe on these other causes, uh, mm-hmm. that's I think that's good and noble. And I mean, I think that's what sure. God wants us to do with our sure. minds, with our reasons. Mm-hmm. But, and, and as we found out, it's very effective. Yeah, yeah, it's very yeah, effective I mean, in making sense of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that that's a that's a huge part of it. I think, um, yeah, it's, it's very effective, especially in making things. Right. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and like in like making better uh this doesn't sound weird but this is part of the modern project but making better uh sailing ships better artillery better uh forms of machinery right it's very good at at techne right creating yeah. instruments right um um yeah. So. Yeah, I'm very thankful for my glasses. I exactly. can see yeah, better. Yeah, you know, sure. yeah, technology yeah. is good. Uh, uh, well, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's fine. <laughs> it depends on how you use it. It works right? exactly. Right. But that's it. It works. See, that's the thing is, science was was amazing in the, like making simplifying assumptions, employing yeah. this this method, right? It it created amazing results. Right in terms of the uh, power of modern man, mm-hmm. right, um, and that's you know it's something you just really can't overlook, right? Uh, in terms Absolutely. of it's, it's um, in terms of our ability to build buildings, our abilities to uh, create trains, our abilities to um, predict the you know uh, currents, our abilities to sail. Uh, you know, it just, it's amazing, actually, you know, I mean, you go from uh, everything that will develop out of that uh, modern period, you can see why I think when you see all these amazing changes that were brought in through the scientific method, why modern man had such a profound faith in reason and science, you yeah. know, they, they were, I mean, it's hard for us to think about this, but they were so excited about it, right? I mean, this was like, 
people were like, wow, what's going to be next, right? Yeah. What's the newest, like, there's going to, like, we are, we are conquering nature, right? We're overcoming all these problems that, you know, uh, have existed, you know, for centuries in the past. Uh, so along with sort of an enthusiasm for science, right, and a different method, right, um, we also have the decline of religious authority. Now, mm-hmm. it's very important to say, recognize here, most modern men were not atheists or yeah. agnostics. It would be very, very silly to think that. If you went, you know, if you were in Oxford and you went to the you know, local pub, you're not going to run into a bunch of agnostics and atheists, okay? There was a small segment of society, uh, uh, sometimes called the philosophes, right, in France, and then they had their imitators in other parts mm-hmm. of uh, Europe, um, that... That, prob- that did entertain agnostic and atheistic ideas, right? Sure. But it would be it would be a misconception to think that modern countries were as as a whole, you know, agnostic or atheistic, right? The leading intellectuals sometimes were, mm-hmm. um, but not all by any stretch. Now, but why the decline of religious authority? Well, because we're in a post-Reformation, post-wars of religion Europe, right? Right. And so, basically. The idea that there is one obvious truth about religion, right, has gone away, yeah. right? Um, you know, Protestantism and Catholicism have gone their separate ways. Different forms of Protestantism have uh, gone their separate ways. We've had long wars of religion in France. Um, and, you know, there was eventually a, a kind of a draw, <laughs> uh, essentially, also in Germany. <clears throat> So the idea that there's one, that there's orthodoxy, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, you know, like, like, I mean, certainly like an Anglican thinks that there's orthodoxy, a Catholic thinks that there's orthodoxy, there's a Lutheran that thinks there's orthodoxy, but there's no one orthodoxy, right? There's competing right. orthodoxies. And that tends to uh, diminish, right, um, your recourse to religious explanations and to religious um, tenets. Now, again, Religion plays an important role throughout the modern period, and it, and it would be wrong-headed to think otherwise. But it doesn't play as much of a role, right? It's not. It doesn't have that sort of culture-forming um, force that yeah. it did in medieval period, right? It's there for sure. It's in the mix, but it's yeah. no longer supreme, right? Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the idea sometimes we may have in our head is this illustrious, you know, Christendom mm-hmm. that 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 lived and worked uh, with that. Not so in the modern period. It wasn't right, this right, yeah. uh, uh, um, uh, force that it had been. It wasn't this, sure. and even yeah. So I mean, even the the the, the people's trust of mm-hmm. the church of these things uh, just kind of waned. Diminishes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So with uh, with with the decline of with the decline of say religious authority and this this uptick in our ability to reason and the possibilities, yeah, yeah, yeah right. the possibilities of, of reasoning scientifically mm-hmm. uh, exploded. Yeah, yeah. So it sets the stage right for a different way of thinking. Right. Yep. See, I don't have to think under the church. I don't have to think under the Bible. Right. Like a medieval man would have done, or even say like someone like Luther would have thought of himself as working within the like the the bible whether he was right or wrong is another question but that's the way he would have thought of thinking if that makes sense right yeah uh also we have now a new paradigm for thinking right the scientific uh revolution right so all of a sudden see philosophy is becoming different it's no longer the handmaiden of theology in addition to that we have a new model for reasoning which is science right Mm. Uh, the third thing that's important here is um really the development of the middle class and its aspirations for Mm self-governance. This is a really complicated topic. I don't want to go into it too much, but you think about medieval society. Medieval society is a society of patronage and privilege, custom, right? And the main way you advance is through patronage, right? But mostly you don't advance. That's the important part, right? Like medieval society is about stability, right? Yeah. You know, Absolutely. if you're, uh, you know, Jason, if, let's say that your father was a serf. Do you yeah. know what you would be, Jason? A serf, always. There you go. And, <laughs> right. all, and all my children, my grandchildren. <laughs> right. and, yeah. You know, so, uh, and the same thing if, you know, you, if your father was a cobbler, 
you're going to be a cobbler. I hope you yeah. like cobbling. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, the, the, but that starts to change with the rise of the midi, uh, of a middle class that's not dependent upon the aristocracy and right. is not dependent upon the church, right? They have a sense of economic independence, right? Yeah. They're self-reliant. Um, that they are going to make it on their own. So we're talking about everything from middle-sized farmers, small farmers, but still with the note of independence, mm -hmm. to artisans and merchants, right? Um, these folks are folks who kind of are, they're outside of, right, the feudal system, yeah. right? They're living kind of on their own in a sense at least to a degree, to a degree that hadn't been beforehand. Yeah, 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 that's people. the key, yeah. And, um, and so they have economic independence. Well, what do they, what do they want? What, 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 what are such people going to say, oh, well, yeah, I mean, I shouldn't have any say in how things are run politically. <laughs> no, um, they're going to say, I, yeah, my, my, I want my thinking, and I want my thinking independent of right. all other coercions, right? That's right, exactly, yeah. So, I, look, I'm, I'm, I'm economically independent. Why shouldn't I be politically independent, right? Yeah. yeah. And so uh, we have then the, the rise of an aspiration for freedom and liberty, I think, that was just unknown to medieval man. Yeah. There, was, there was a sense of self-governance, uh, you know, kind of a, a moderate sense of freedom mm -hmm. in the medieval period, but but really unequal in its application, if you're honest. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so um, uh, the idea of, of, of sort of being fully independent is really kind of a, a, a modern idea, right? So you have these three things then together, right? You have um, the rise of the scientific method, mm -hmm. right? Which gives you a new way of, uh, a new model for reasoning. You have in addition to that, right, the decline of religious authority, which means that you're no longer there's an autonomy to reason, right? Mm, yeah. right? Reason can just function on its own. It does. It, it can function on its own without reference to religious authority and without reference to tradition, right? Right. Or custom, or even final causality. Right? <laughs> <clears throat> so it can. It can. It has this new sort of almost kind of you know when they built like in the French Revolution when they built this statue, right? To reason, right? Right. To the goddess reason. It, they kind of weren't kidding around. Right, like they really believed that reason had this amazing force and power and independence to it, and that went yeah. right along with the idea of political independence. Do you see how all those things kind of kind of mesh together in an interesting way? Oh yeah, it sounds like a very exciting time. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I think it outside of like exciting. outside of like plagues and stuff, like it seems like <laughs> it seems like a very a very exciting time. And and again these some of the you know some of these things that you're talking about we we just kind of take for granted sure yes, but the novelty yes, yes. of them at that time mm -hmm. uh i i think really really opened up man to mm -hmm. uh um uh to to many new ideas and and not just new ideas but new ways of thinking that that sure. yes. that i don't have to take into account and and i think when you say maybe you can clarify uh, when when you say like uh, um, I don't have to listen to church uh, authority, for for them it wasn't so much like I need to submit my paper to the Vatican for approval, but that I can ignore all religious thought together. Not only can I ignore it, Jason. What I really need to do is I need to reform religion through the <laughs> lens of reason. Yeah. So this is one of the things that drives me absolutely up the wall when some people start talking about the idea that St. Thomas Aquinas is a rationalist. I think if you say that, I, I really think you're just ignorant, uh, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, if you want to find a rationalist, look at Thomas Jefferson, okay? <laughs> Thomas Jefferson is a rationalist, right? He takes the Bible and the New Testament and eliminates all those parts that are strictly supernatural and yep. leaves only the ethical parts. Why is that? Because his reason says, says that supernatural things are superstitious and impossible and therefore yep. should be eliminated from the New Testament. That's a rationalist. St. Thomas was not a rationalist, okay? <laughs> but anyways, uh, if I seem exercised. About Thank you for that, that clarification. <laughs> I've heard it so many times, it drives up the wall. But anyways, um, uh, St. Thomas defends the reality of miracles. This sounds maybe prosaic to us, but it was a huge part of early modern culture 
-hmm. It's not as if people immediately jump to atheism. Most of them jump to deism, right? And to religious rationalism. So they would say there's a God and that, you know, kind of a watchmaker uh, God that kind of set things in order and then kind of got them going and then leaves it alone. And man studies what happens in the clock or in the watch using the scientific method. We need to eliminate superstition that sort of thing, right? Jesus is a is a great moral teacher, et cetera, right? Um, that that you know, so that was the real option. Most people didn't become atheists in the 19th century. You get some atheists, genuine atheism. Most people became deists, but it did mean that they they could reject religious authority. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of like this, you know, the the when you know the scientific revolution happened, and we have this era of modern philosophy that you know it's now the adulthood of humanity we've yeah, we've yeah, we've yeah. lived through that that childhood mm-hmm. experience where we've we've put our we've put those things that we can't explain mm-hmm. onto the shoulders of of god and his thing but mm-hmm. now but now uh now we really understand that god is letting us letting us loose as adults and we can that's think right. freely and act yeah, freely yeah. and that's all right that's really great taste comment yeah yeah there's, <laughs> there's a couple of uh, things i want to add to that um the um especially, you know, say reaching the adulthood of man, right? Yeah. So one of the best little essays, if you want to read, read a kind of primary text source uh, that, that that sort of expresses the enthusiasm of that time uh, is just a little short, it's a really short essay by Immanuel Kant called What is Enlightenment? Mm-hmm. I'll just want to note for the readers, uh, for the listeners that um, Kant's essays are actually very easy to read. Yeah. His critiques are <laughs> nearly impossible. <laughs> But his essays, and this is an essay, is actually very, it was actually very nicely written. So it's, it, yeah. you can understand it quite clearly. And he says just what you're saying there, Jason, that um, enlightenment is man coming to think for himself, yeah. throwing off the tutelage, right? That is the the mastery of our former protectors and patrons, right? Religion, yeah, uh, is exactly what he means. Uh, and coming to think for ourselves, right? And he says, you know, at the very end, he ends with this very kind of just enthusiastic enlightenment motto, dare to think, right? Dare to think, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and think for yourself, right? Now, this is so that sounds like a, That sounds like a great idea, Dr. Smith. We should. We should. <laughs> but but what, is, what does Kant really, really mean by that? Well, he says, it means, of course, to think for ourselves. Um, and I think... The problem with that is you're, you might be wrong, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and you might actually be stupid, and you might make a lot of really dumb mistakes, and wouldn't it be better to rely on those who might be wiser than you, right? Yeah, yeah. A you quick, know, to some degree. Yeah, I think a quick uh, kind of uh, uh, intellectual activity here can help us understand this. Would you tell your doctor, you know what? All that schooling you had in, in, in grad school and uh, medicine school, forget that. Think yeah, for yourself. I'm thinking no. for myself, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, please do not think for yourself. <laughs> right, yeah. And you think, you know, I mean, it's a good illustration, I think, of uh, certainly it meant, you know, stepping away from religious authority. Yeah. Uh, he also thinks and says quite clearly that uh, he calls um, in other places, uh, he talks about uh, breaking free of the apron strings of Mother Nature. Ooh, that's and, cute. That's yeah. cute. <laughs> He's like, we don't need to be led by nature. We don't yeah. need to conform to nature. Nature needs to conform to us, us. right? Yeah. You know, uh, again, very modern enlightenment kind of uh, ideal. Um, you think how different that is than medieval thinking, just 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 as a matter of of, of comparison. Medieval man loves uh, precedent. Yeah. Right? He wants to know what did Cicero think and what did, you know, uh, Boethius think and what did, you know, you, you see like there's this sense of, I want to be within this long tradition and I want to yeah. think within that long tradition. And that's how you become educated. That's how you become wise is by embedding yourself within this long intellectual tradition. Modern man has no interest in that. Right? Yeah. So, so Kant, Kant, when he says "dare to think" or "think for yourself," he's not saying that we should, that that uh, that somehow we should um, just not rely on those authorities. That we should just kind of, you know, um, think. We should think deeply through these things and listen to. to he's saying like there needs to be kind of a break, a That's break right. here. 
and and what has gone before us mm-hmm. that that's that's a we need to put away those childish things mm-hmm. of antiquity and we need mm-hmm. to to begin again there needs to be an originality a spontaneity an independence right yeah and that are, that autonomy right. you were talking about that's right yeah. huge yeah. which again is so different because uh the modern uh, medieval man but you can actually find this in other ancient cultures um uh say like a say a confucian kind of culture as well but the idea that that the way you become wise is by submitting to a tradition yeah. right? and then working within it. Whereas for modern man, no. And this is, you know, it's not the case at all. It needs to be totally independent. This uh, goes along, you know, but this is, this comes out in the idea that every modern philosopher says, almost every modern philosopher is like, all, all other philosophers have gotten it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's my turn to start everything over again. It's just, it's so funny. Like Locke, Hume, Descartes, yeah. Leibniz, Spinoza. The Kant, audacity. They're right? all like that. They're like, well, everybody's got it wrong. Now I'm going to start philosophy over again. Many ancient medieval guys didn't think that way. Right. Yeah. They would say, look, there's an error here or there. There's problems. And then, with, then, but there's also a lot of good stuff. And so we have to kind of develop within that, that tradition. Right. Yeah. Um, modern guys want to start all over with everything. Uh, you see that, I think, in the philosophical context, right? So thinking for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also see it to some degree in the political context. And that's one of the things in this course yeah. I really want to emphasize is the connections between these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a tendency sometimes in, in a modern philosophy class uh, to emphasize only questions of knowledge. Right. And that, there's, there's good reasons for that, right? But, I, but you know, modern man wasn't an epistemologist, right? <laughs> he was a, modern man is a, is a citizen, right, uh, yeah. as well. And all these things for modern people were tied together. One of the things that kind of, kind of redirected a little bit of my interest in modern philosophy in this area was realizing that people were just, I know it's going to be hard to believe, Jason, but people were genu- genuinely thrilled and in ecstasy over the work of Immanuel Kant. And you're like, what? Like, if you read Kant, it's like so hard and dry, right? Like, <clears throat> why is it? Why, why, would, why would reading the critique of pure reason, right, cause people to have such crazy enthusiasm, right? Yeah. Um, I think right, one of the things I have to realize is they saw cultural and political implications that it's hard for us yeah. to pick up on, yeah. right? Coming from a 21st century perspective, looking back at Kant, you know, Kant saying things that to us seem just kind of dry logical points about theory of knowledge, yeah. but that in, in reality had profound implications for ethics, politics, and culture. Uh, I don't want to go into all of it right now, but I'll just, put, just say this. Kant, he said, as he says, freed man from the tyranny of metaphysics. That's the way he was seen in his time, right? Is that he, 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 he liberated human beings, right? From being dominated by ideas about reality, right? And if you're a Thomist, you can pick yourself up off the floor right now. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's and, and I think that's, because that's one thing that, that many people are saying today, especially within, within the church, is that we need to really teach metaphysics again. We need to go, we yeah, need to, sure. to, to recover, uh, uh, particularly, you know, uh, a Thomistic uh, metaphysics. Mm-hmm. We need to recover this in order to recover, you know, some of the, 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 uh, Catholic thinking today mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. the way that we apply it and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, but, but it's, it, I think it's, I think that was, that's one of the most important keys to, to understanding uh, uh, this time period as well right. is kind of that, that the uh, not just, not just a- ignoring of metaphysics, mm-hmm. but like almost, you know, a, 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 a seeking out to destroy yeah, yeah. metaphysics. Yeah, you get you really sort of either, uh, especially once you get into the Kant and post-Kantian periods, an overcoming of metaphysics or a sort of radical uh, transformation of it into ways that would have been unrecognizable to ancient or medieval man, and you know, and really sort of outside the bounds of common sense even. Um, but uh, but you know, had important cultural and political implications. We you know, basically on the basis of Kant, we can't know anything about the thing in itself. Right. We can't know anything about the forms of things, the purposes of things in themselves. 
We can't know the existence of God. We can't know the immortality of the soul, etc. right? Your culture changes when people stop thinking that way or Absolutely. start thinking that way, right? Yeah. You know, man before medieval man, European man before this thinks there's purposes in nature. We can know uh, there's purposes and value and meaning in nature and we can know it. And there's a God above uh, that orders the world and there's the ultimate end, and et cetera, right? Um, you know, interestingly, like the Reformation didn't change that, right? right. Reformation people, the you know, Protestants thought that way as the Catholics. What changed that was the Enlightenment, right? And Kant liberates all of culture, right, from that worldview and puts it in a worldview where man is deeply, truly, and radically autonomous, right? He yeah. is really a law unto himself. And that caused people to be really excited, particularly <laughs> um, particularly upper middle class to middle class young people, right? Um, the, uh, Sounds so familiar. <laughs> you know, if you're a peasant, you're like, I don't know there's a nature, right? <laughs> you know, but, but if you're, you know, kind of an upper middle class to middle class person, especially if your father has some aspirations to arist aristocratic culture, yeah, right? Yeah. Then, then you may, he might even just say, you know, pay like find a living for you or pay for you to to act like a gentleman to dress like a gentleman to not have too much work to do or maybe you work as a clerk in a in an office or something like that right but these sorts of people were very excited about this right yeah. because it meant that a lot of the culture cultural hierarchy yeah and customs were going to change right mm -hmm. and a lot more things are going to be free and open and available to people um, that uh, weren't uh, we're not beforehand. We're not now, now, beforehand. now, were there were there any you know so you know we 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 kind of cast those into to in, in in a negative light. Mm -hmm. Is there any positive things that came out of mm -hmm. uh, the the Enlightenment or or sure. modern philosophy? I think yeah, to be sure, I think some uh, uh, some de definitely some things came out of it that are. Um, Important, and I think, yeah, but also valuable. Yeah, uh, I think obviously the um, an appreciation for um, the value and efficacy of science. Yeah, thinking about science now, probably what needed to be done more of was thinking about the limits of science. Okay, mm. at the time, but yeah. but at the same time, I think you know um, the, this this idea of a new method of inquiry. Sure. A method that involved experimentation and uh, emphasized experience more, right, than some other things uh, was probably good. I think with a lot of these, there's a balance here. I, I would yeah. say an excessive, re an excessive reliance on custom can stultify thinking, right? Sure, sure. Um, I think that there are in the various global cultures there are examples of this, mm -hmm. right? Um, but you know, I think again, the Enlightenment tended to underplay probably the value of custom, if that yeah. makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a way in which it, it kind of is a little bit healthy to be able to at least step away from custom a little bit, sure. And tradition, when you're especially as a philosopher, right? Um, at the same time, I think they, you know, they went too far. <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, and I think you could see that even with like, you know, uh, uh, countries that are, say, culturally Catholic. Mm -hmm. Many times if religion is, is so built into the culture, it's quite easily, uh, or it's easy to go through life without really uh, mm -hmm. uh, thinking about it that, that, that much. So when, mm -hmm. when, when there, sometimes, you know, when there is a force that is, uh, um, against your religion or something like that it, it does require you to 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 enter into you know thinking deeply about it in that way sure, sure. But, I, but at the same time <laughs> yeah right. you know to to completely to go yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think that another area where you can um see a lot of uh values there's probably um an elitism built into mm. uh ancient medieval thought that uh, needed to be uh, improved upon. And, and by elitism, I don't, obviously it's the case. I'm just going to say that some people are smarter than others. Yeah. Um, but 
that that obvious truth led people like Plato and that everyone he influenced, which is everyone, uh, to um, to think, well, the, the whys are very few, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think that probably underestimated the cognitive capacities of uh, uh, that are common to man. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? You know, yeah. like yeah, I, yeah. I think more people are capable of thinking deeply than the ancient medieval philosophers and theologians thought. Yeah. Um, so I think that, there, that, that, that that's an improvement. And the last one I'll just mention is um, I think that, um, you know, we can see some real uh, improvement in terms of um, self-critical, a self-critical stance okay. in um, modern thinking. It's not as if this did not exist beforehand, mm-hmm. but modern philosophers really plumbed in a uh, sort of the depths in trying to figure reason itself out, right? Yeah. So I think that there's a lot in the Aristotelian Thomas tradition, especially in its rational psychology, mm-hmm. that tries to kind of figure out knowledge and reason. But modern philosophers really tried to get at like, why reason, right? How, why should we trust reason? Not just how does it work, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how do we know it's true, right? And most of these people who were doing this were not radical skeptics. They weren't asking this question because they wanted to undermine reason. They were trying to find uh, in a sort of self-critical way and sure. also in a autonomous way, an account of reason that allowed reason to have indubitable foundations as Descartes would put it right um and I think that that project went astray right yeah absolutely yeah (laughs) but it's also it's also valuable to be self-aware right and to be self-critical in terms of thinking about your reasoning and so I think that that's a that's a that is a positive contribution, right? You know, what are the real grounds of, of why I think this way? You know, yeah, yeah. It uh, wasn't it wasn't skepticism for to uh, for the the purpose of uh, destroying the things you didn't agree no, with. No, it, yeah, it was no, skepticism. No. And am I? You know, why am I saying what I'm saying? Why am I? Mm-hmm, why do I mm-hmm, believe what I believe? Mm-hmm. That that's a healthy skepticism. It's not sure. the, the the hermeneutic of skepticism that our current <laughs> culture just you know Labor's begins under, with. Gosh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, wanna, I know we're gone long here. Uh, do I have just a yeah, yeah, a minutes, yeah, yeah. Two minutes here. Okay, so I think those are the contributions um, sure. uh, of of modern philosophy. Uh, the last one I would add is just you know a greater appreciation for liberty. Um, I think medieval and ancient man had an appreciation for self governance, but yeah. very limited and very unequally applied. Mm-hmm. I think you know, uh, I think again the modern period went too far in the other yeah. direction. <laughs> As I like to say about human beings, you know, uh, after after we run off one cliff for a while, we, we realize, oh, we're running off a cliff. And so we turn around and run off another cliff. There's a whole <laughs> other cliff over here. <laughs> we can yeah. run off right. <laughs> so I think they went too far, right? Sure. In the, yeah. in the liberty. Uh, but then, you know, we probably needed an expansion of self-governance. Yeah. Um, like I said, you know, I mean, if, you're, if your dad was a serf, you're going to be a serf and your kids are going to be a serf. And that's all there is to it. Yeah. Um, but um, in, in any event, the problems, though, I'm just going to take, give two sure. in general things. One is with reason itself, and then two is with politics uh, and culture. Um, reason, what we actually found out, so modern philosophy is like a laboratory, right? Uh, yeah. Like medieval philosophy was, like ancient philosophy was. What we found out is a reason that wants to justify itself in its own terms without recourse to anything else ends up being self-defeating. Yeah, it absolutely. ends up eating itself, right? Um, uh, that we need thing, reason as wonderful as it is, right? Needs the contributions of theology and tradition and common sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, without those, right, we find reason just eats itself up. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's remarkable watching modern philosophy, and you'll see this in the course. Brilliant insights, uh, amazing um, thoughts and mm-hmm. theories, and devastating critiques 
of the modern philosopher who came right before them, right? <laughs> and they just destroy themselves, right? Yeah. Uh, basically, um, you know, at the end of it, it really, it, the course, you know, is going to end with um, Friedrich Nietzsche, who I think is a is a is a profound thinker in certain ways. Obviously, uh, a very a thinker much at odds with Catholic faith and right reason, I would say, but mm-hmm. uh, nevertheless um, profound. And and he really kind of he shows the emperor has no clothes right yeah, at yeah. the end of the day, right? That enlightenment and reason at the end of the day just went too far and destroyed itself. Yeah, he's the primary um, saint of the, the modern <laughs> philosophical period. He kind of like, he kind of like shows, hey, like there's, this isn't what you guys think, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, so I think that's one of the problems is that reason, unfettered reason, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, ends up destroying itself. The other is look at the French Revolution, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, right. The French, yeah, sure, sure. We start with liberty and equality. We end up cutting off the heads of everybody who can. Right? <laughs> um, the uh, well, it's, you know, some people are more equal than others, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, or, the other is on the lines of um, of politics and culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sympathetic to the aspirations uh, for greater self governance. Yeah. in uh, modern thought. Uh, at the same time, what really happened is is the idea that got emphasized of liberty and equality trumped the good, mm. right? Uh, whereas genuine self-governance, right, involves a responsible and prudent um, decision-making in the light of the good, yeah. right? So that we're pursuing the good, but there's different ways to pursue the good. There's different mm-hmm. means to pursue the good. And that's self-governance, right? Self-governance is deciding for yourself how to pursue the good. The good, right. right. Um, that drops out, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, now, again, I don't want to overstate it. Not entirely, sure. not to the same degree in every thinker, right? I think, you know, um, if you'd ask the founding fathers of America, right, say so the United States of America, right? Um, which is a very modern place. Yep. Uh, right. I mean, it's founded by thinkers and politicians inspired in part mm-hmm. by these ideas. Not only these ideas, sometimes sure. Catholics uh, exaggerate that, I think, um, but the, in part by these ideas. And, um, you know, they would have thought, of course, self governance is for religious people, it's for a virtuous people yeah. that are going to be pursuing the good. And they wouldn't have imagined, you know, the kinds of libertine behavior that gets justified today in the name of liberty, right? Um, so uh, I, I want to make that qualification. But there was a sense that, that we can de- define and value freedom without bringing the good into view, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a, that's a profound error. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, absolutely. And so this, so this autonomy is not just uh, you know, because that sounds, I mean, that's at face value. That sounds good. Yeah, I, I have this autonomy to, uh, uh, to, to seek out to achieve the good that mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. Uh, but, but this autonomy went wrong when it said, I get to determine, and everybody else gets to determine also what mm-hmm. is good for themselves. That's right. So this autonomy becomes elevated above what is actually good. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I, and again, I, you can mm-hmm. see the importance of metaphysics here, I think. Sure. You yeah. know, of determining what it, what what is good for the sure, person. You sure. Know? Yeah, and I think yeah. really the word autonomy is what's key here. Yeah, the autonomy literally means law unto oneself. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Medieval man, classical man, did not think that way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I think even the best of the Enlightenment didn't entirely think that way, right? Sure. But I think you know there was a tendency in this direction, right? of a law unto yourself, you'll, you'll, you'll probably notice, although I use the terms freedom and liberty occasionally, I prefer the terms self-governance mm-hmm. because I think it kind of brings into view the idea that there's a, there is a law, there is a good, I'm going to govern myself in view of the good and right. the law, but I'm not the law, right? Yeah. There's a law outside of myself. There's a good outside of myself. Um, autonomy strictly construed, um, makes you the law unto yourself and so you define the good 
That's awesome. That's uh, it's just again, again, if you when you when you kind of get a glimpse of this entire world, mm-hmm. you can really see. Uh, uh, I think you know how exciting this can be. I mean, and sure. and I think this is why it's it's also very exciting for young people that go to college um, because <laughs> they're experiencing these kind of things uh, um, for the first time with regards mm-hmm. to their physical freedoms. And so when their when their intro to philosophy professor tells them to think for themselves, you know, oh, this this sounds so exciting, but 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 we know we know where it goes, we know where it leads, right. and that's why it's important to have good guides and uh, good philosophy professors as well. Um, well, Dr. Smith, you've given us I think a lot to a lot to think about, and we didn't even get into to many of the ideas that the main mm-hmm. ideas uh, uh, that really uh, drove the whole modern. Uh, philosophical period um, but I hope this gives our listeners uh, a, a good context to begin to to think about where these where these philosophies originated from and where they were uh, uh, where they were germinated and, and grew into uh, full-fledged kind of uh, philosophical assumptions that we live in today mm-hmm. uh, and so I want to invite all of our listeners uh, check out uh, all of our material over at Catholic Studies Academy check out Dr. Smith's courses uh, uh, and subscribe to the course you'll learn yeah. a lot yeah 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 and begin with intro to philosophy he, kind of, <laughs> he, he goes from there and and again this this it's important for us to 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 study these things to to go through them in a systematic uh way and of course i hope we've also illustrated that there, there's so many things happening with regards to this and it's important for us to have good guides and I can attest that Dr. Smith is one of those. <laughs> so I invite all the listeners, check out all of our content over at Catholic Studies Academy. Until next time, God bless.